Most of us have heard that we should be a giver in order to influence others, and yet we struggle with how to do that effectively and authentically. Today, on this episode, five laws that will help you to become a more effective giver. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 193. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly show to help leaders improve their communication, strategy, coaching, productivity, and personal mastery. And we're going to hit on an element of all of those this episode, because I have a guest with me today who has written a book that I just love. And I just got introduced to this book recently. And it is such a great book on how to be successful in your work. But it's through the lens of how to be a more effective giver. And some of you will recognize the name Bob Berg. He is someone who believes that a subtle shift in focus can make a big difference in your business and in your income. He's a sought-after speaker at company leadership and sales conferences, and he is the co-author of the international bestseller, The Go-Giver, which is what we're going to be speaking about today, but he's also written The Go-Giver Sell More, and he's the author of Endless Referrals and a number of other books. He's sold more than a million copies. That's a lot for those of you who don't know anything about book publishing. Uh, The Go-Giver in particular has been translated into 21 different languages. Bob, that's really impressive, and welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Well, thank you, Dave. Thank you for the nice introduction. Pleasure to be with you. Well, I I can't wait to get into the details here of the book. I had mentioned to you before we started recording that uh, I think I was the only one on the planet that hadn't read The Go-Giver before before I got introduced to you. And uh, when I picked it up and I started reading it, I was really really amazed at how much I got into the book. And I just, I had a hard time putting it down. And I actually had to because I was in the middle of doing something else uh, when I first started reading it. Um, but I just wanted to pick it up again because it's so practical, but you just present these five laws you focus on in the book in such a compelling way. And and it's also one of those books that's a nice guys and gals finish first book. And I love that perspective. <laughs> I was I was very fortunate, Dave, to uh, uh, co-author this with John David Mann, who is really a magnificent storyteller. Uh, I tend to be sort of how-to oriented, step one, step two, step three. Mm. John uh, really can can tell a story. And this is a business parable, so it's actually it's a work of fiction, though what we did is we took many life experiences that happened and weave it into the story. But I you know, owe John so much for agreeing to work with me on this because he was fantastic. Well, and and doing some writing myself, I'm always interested when I read a fictional parable, which this is, um, on where like the life events of you and him and and how like where some of the examples came from. Um, And one of the things in particular as I was reading is I was wondering how you both framed and originally created these five laws and maybe created isn't even the right word. Uh, Bob, because you you guys didn't necessarily create these, but you presented them in such a way that they just make sense to people. What was the genesis of getting down to these five? 
Yeah, I think you put it perfectly, Dave. We didn't create them because these are success principles that have been around since time immemorial, and successful people have always utilized these. John and I, uh, coming from different experiences in life, uh, but both involved as entrepreneurs and getting to, in our professions, myself as a, as a professional speaker, I get to meet all these great leaders and people who've led companies and led people, and I get to see what they've done, and I'm a voracious reader, and I, I love studying success. Uh, John, a very successful entrepreneur, is a writer. He's gotten to work with people throughout the years who've accomplished these magnificent things. So really, we took and put together the success uh, principles, if you will, that work and put them in story form and we we named these things you know such as value compensation influence uh we we named them certain ways and we had those sort of outlined the only one we didn't have was the law of receptivity and as john and i like to say that one kind of wrote itself Mm. because we were at near the end of the story looking to tie it together and within the story, we just said, you know, this is really, it's, it's receptivity, which is what you also have to have in order to make this complete. So we always say that one wrote itself. Okay, good, good. And I want to get to that one because I know I struggle with that one. I, I know other people I've talked with definitely struggle with that. So I think that's a good one for us to spend some time talking about. Um, but let's start at the beginning here because there are five laws you've identified. They're presented mm-hmm. in the parable. They're presented beautifully. And um, I'm wondering if maybe we could look at each one of these and, and sure. maybe drill in a little bit and just give people a sense of, of the value they can get from the book. Um, so the first one is the law of value. And you say the law of value is your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. And I think that the cynic or the average person reading this would look at that and say, okay, well, if you're overly generous, how can you be financially successful? Mm -hmm. What What do you say to folks who come to you with that question? Sure, and it's a, a great question. Um, and we use in the story, in, in that part, you'll remember Ernesto, the uh, the restaurant owner, who actually had a pretty pricey, swanky cafe and was very, very profitable. So how do we reconcile that when we say give more in value than you take in payment? I mean, isn't that a recipe for bankruptcy? Right. And so what we need to do is simply understand the difference between price and value. Price is a dollar figure. It's a, a dollar amount. It's finite. It It is what it is. <laughs> value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea that brings with it so much worth or value that someone will willingly exchange their money for it? and be glad they did while the seller or business owner makes a a very, very nice profit. And let me, if I may, just give an example that I think will will illustrate this on a very basic level. Uh, Let's say you hire an accountant to do your taxes 
And uh, this accountant charges you, and we'll just name a round figure to make it easy, $1,000. Uh, he charges you $1,000 to do your tax returns. Now, what that, that's his price, his fee, or his, literally his price. Now, what value does he give you in exchange? Well, through his years of, of study and, and work and understanding his craft, through getting to know you and asking you the right questions to understand your company better and what you're looking to accomplish through, through all this, he is able to save you $5,000 in taxes. Uh, he saves you, of course, countless hours uh, so that it frees you up to do what you'd rather be doing, something you're more qualified to be doing, something you can do more productively. He also provides you and your family with the peace of mind and security of knowing it was done correctly. So first, we see right here that while price, again, is, is finite, Value is both concrete in terms of the the five thousand dollar savings, but also conceptual uh, in terms of peace of mind. I mean, that probably holds more value or relative worth than even the money that he's saved you. So, so what he did is he gave you well over five thousand dollars in use value in exchange for a thousand dollar price or cash value. He gave you more in value than he took in payment. So you feel great about it. And he made a very, very healthy profit because he believes that to, to lease in a sense, his services, uh, and do what he did for a thousand dollars is very, very profitable to him. In fact, the, the biggest, uh, embodiment of a free market-based exchange where, where neither party is forced to do business with anyone else is simply that both parties profit as a result. Both parties end up better off <laughs> than they were before the transaction. Sure. Uh, and so, so you gave much more in value, the accountant gave much more in value than what he took in payment, but that payment was still very, very profitable for him. Now, this only happens because of the basic premise of the entire teaching, and that is that shifting one's focus, and this is really the key, Dave, getting to giving. And when we say in this context, giving, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others. And that doing so is not only a, a nice way to live life, but a very financially profitable way as well. And that's why we say that money is simply an echo of value. Money uh -huh. is an echo of value. It's the thunder to values lightning, which means the value must come first. And the money you receive is simply a natural and direct result of the value you've provided. So if to, to continue the analogy then, if I'm thinking like an accountant, the, the person who maybe runs the the typical or the average business is thinking about, okay, you know, how many clients can I get? What what can I charge? The accountant that's really thinking like a go-giver is the person who says, yes, you know, we've got our fees and all of that, but really, how can we maximize the value of the people that we serve? Am I, am I, is that an oversimplification or is that the kind of mindset that we want to have? Um, no, it's, it, it's great. Um, what's interesting is that typically Someone who is running their business the go-giver way charges higher fees than their competitors. Really? Because they're selling on value, not on price. They're so focused on the kind of over-the-top value they can provide that they have earned the right to uh, charge higher. Oh, and of course, they need to be able to communicate that value effectively. Um, 
And, and that's very, very key. It's not enough just to provide that value. You've also got to know how to communicate that to, to others. But we would always rather have someone sell on value rather than try and sell on low price, which we believe is a race to the bottom. Unless your last name is Walmart, selling on low price is not a, you know, not your best unique value proposition. <laughs> so sure, uh, sure. when you sell on, when you try to sell on, on pro, when you sell on price, you're a commodity. When you sell on value, you're a resource. So if you go to Nordstrom, you're going to pay more, but you're going to get the value that comes along mm -hmm. with that experience than if you and, go to, you know, a Walmart or, or and, and I get my suits at, uh, at Nordstrom for that very reason. Yeah. I, I want the, when, when it comes to that, that's so important to me that the value to me that I receive from them is much more important than the price. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I've actually bought suits at some of those discount places in the past and I end up just, it ends up being a painful experience. They don't sure. last as long. And I found in the long run, I actually pay less by going to somewhere like a Nordstrom or somewhere else mm -hmm. to buy a suit because the experience, the quality is better, the experience is better, the service is better. And then the long run, even from a price standpoint, it ends up working out in in, in my favor. So sure, yeah, absolutely. It's a great example. All right, let's uh, let's look at the speaking of money. <laughs> let's look at the law of compensation. And you say in this law, your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. And so I'm curious, like, what's the difference maker with those who really serve people well? What are they doing that the majority of people out there aren't doing or aren't even thinking about? Well, the people who are serving people well understand a very basic concept, and that is value is always in the eyes of the beholder. It's not what we think is of value about our product or service, although that's important. It's much more important to find out what how this this customer sees it as being of value. We we learn that, of course, by asking questions, by asking the correct questions that will elicit the responses that allow us to learn more about this customer, what they need, and why they will find our product or service to be of value. A great friend of mine, Sean Woodruff, a very successful entrepreneur, uh, he's often said that a professional salesperson connects the benefits of their product or service with the wants, needs, and desires mm. of the customer. Mm. And, and that's really what, what someone does who's able to separate themselves from the crowd. We live in a, a society now where technology has leveled off the playing field so that most products and services are pretty similar. Uh, it, it's They basically are commodities at this point. So how do you... How do you uh, merit charging higher fees and making a, a, a really good profit in a world in which your competitor can undersell you, right? And so to do that, we need to, and not to sound too zen here, but we need to be the value, right? Mm. And, and so there are many ways to communicate this additional value. They, they tend to come down to five basic what we call elements of value, and they are excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. And to the degree that we can communicate these to our customers, that's the degree that we will become their, their trusted resource. We're the person who they will pay extra to because they know they're actually getting that, that uh, value that they, that they desire. When we talk about the second law being how many people you serve, what we've done is we take the first law 
now we expand our reach. We allow ourselves to impact the lives of more people. So in other words, where law number one says to give more in value or use value than you take in payment, law number two tells us that the more people whose lives we provide this exceptional value to, the more money with which we'll be rewarded. Uh, for example, the accountant we talked about uh, in the first example did a great job of giving you more in value than he took in payment. So if you're his client or customer, you probably feel really good about him. You would do business with him again and you'd refer him to others. Well, his other customers probably feel the same way. So our accountant is very quickly amassing what we call an army of personal walking ambassadors. And as he continues to add that kind of exceptional value to the lives of more and more people, his income will continue to grow and grow. You'll remember Nicole Martin, the CEO in the story, who said to Joe, the protege, law number one, the law of value, that represents your potential income. But it's law number two, the number of lives you impact with that value, that represents your actual income. It reminds me very much of the Dale Carnegie principle of try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view. And oh, it's, wasn't he magnificent oh, with that? And I know you've, you know, you've, you've, you're a very big leader within the Carnegie system. And, uh, you know, that was what, one of the things he said in his, his book, his classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which I think. I think was really the found, and of course you're more of an expert with that than I am, so you may disagree, but my, my thought is the foundational principle in that magnificent book, Dave, was when he said, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, yeah. not our oh, reasons. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 it's it's so simple that it's so easy to miss. And I think it, it relates right to these first two laws you've talked about too, that you know, it it's something that it's kind of we all know logically, but when you really look at the people out there who are taking time as an individual and as an organization to really genuinely ask questions, listen, and then take action based upon what the customer or the client needs and wants and sees as valuable and do that consistently. Like you said, you know, those are the people that end up being able to charge the premium because there's not that many people who really do that. Right. For better or worse. So we, all, of course, want to be the folks who are doing a much better job of that, not only to, you know, make more money, but to to even more importantly, to serve the world and to do great things for people and to help people mm-hmm. to be effective in their work. So, um, well, and the, neat, and the neat thing is in a free market based system, the two go together. You yeah, can only yeah. make a lot of money by serving a lot of people and serving them well. It's the only way you can do it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I love it. I love it. All right, so number three is the law of influence. You say your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first, what we were just talking about. And, you know, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was, you know, one of the things that kind of came into my mind here, and I'm I'm 100% with you on the law, is I think that, one of the obstacles for people is they say, well, you know, if I put everyone else's interests first and I go out there and I do that consistently, aren't people, aren't a lot of people just going to kind of take advantage of me? Do you get that objection from this law, Bob? And, and how do you approach people who have that mindset of, okay, how, how can I keep people from taking it? Because we've all been taken advantage of. So mm-hmm. um, what is it that we do to separate that in this law? Well, and when you first hear the law, you know, without without 
any context, it sounds exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it sounds like, uh, wow, you know, that's just, uh, uh, you know, am I supposed to be a doormat? And, and of course, no, uh, there's, there's absolutely no congruency between being a go-giver and being anyone's doormat, being a, a martyr, uh, being self-sacrificial in any way, shape, or form, absolutely not at all. It's simply that as, as Joe, the protege in the story, was told actually by a few of the mentors, uh, the golden rule of business and maybe of, of life and relationships, what have you, is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to and allow themselves to be led by those people they know, like, and trust. And there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you from others than by what we call stepping outside yourself, moving from what we call an I focus or a me focus to an other focus. Mm -hmm. As, uh, as um, Sam called it in the book, making your win about the other person's win. Mm. And when you do that, you're creating these wonderful, magnificent relationships with people and attracting people to you that, you know, what do they want to do? They want to be of value to you as well. Now, if you feel as though you're being taken advantage of, what you've got to do is make sure you're not doing things in such a way that, that, you know, puts a label on your, your forehead that says, take advantage of me because there's, there's no, there's no reason that, that placing another per just like being a team player, you know, when you're yeah. a team player, you actually subjugate your interests for the good of the team. But that doesn't mean you lose your individuality because your, uh, your value, you're, you're acting congruently with your values. And, um, so, uh, no, uh, I, I have to say if you're, you know, if you're a, a good person, if you're a nice person, if you're a go-giver, if you're a person and you're being taken advantage of, it's not because you're a nice person. It's not because you're a go-giver. It's not be, it's because you're doing things in such a way that you allow yourself to be taken advantage of. Well, so, uh, no, you, you'd be a, you'd be the. You be the go-giver, and you'll generally attract people who will respond to that in a positive way. But obviously, we live in a big world, and there are different people in the world who don't act out of that same kind of value base. And you so you, you either avoid them when you can, or if you have to do business with them, as long as they're not dishonest or you know what have you, then you, you do business while keeping in mind that you operate based on your values but you certainly don't set yourself up to be taken advantage of. And if I think of the people that I know and the businesses that I know that not only do I utilize, but I recommend to other people and, and do it enthusiastically, it's always people who have who operate from this framework. Of, Absolutely. You Absolutely. Know? And yet, and yet a lot of us, like when, and when they, when we're then doing it ourselves or we're, then we're running the business or interacting with the customer, sometimes we forget this. We forget that, you know, what is it that the other, what's the kind of experience the other person is going to want to have and, and putting their other and their interests first? And so I think that that's, that's just a good reminder for us. If, if you're looking for some inspiration is to think about the people and the organizations that you love, that you recommend others, and what is it that they do? And then how can you use that as inspiration to do what you're doing in the world too and in your organization? Yeah. And hey, Dave, let me, if I may, just add one other thing. Some Please. people, especially, uh, you know, before they've really read the book and, and understand the principles, they also think being a go-giver can mean 
being at everyone's beck and call, always having to say yes and always be, and again, not, not at all. Go-givers tend to be very successful people, so they tend to be very busy and they're asked for things quite a bit. So a go-giver needs to be able to say no. However, they need to be able to say no in a way that values the other person, shows respect and honor to the other person. And so they do so in a way where, yes, you, we, we've usually got to say no, let's face it. You know, yeah. we, we've got to be able to say no to the things we should say no to so that we can say yes to the things we should say yes to. But we need to do it in a way that's always kind and respectful. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I get requests a lot for people to be on this show. And often I do need to say no. Um, and I, when I, and whenever that happens, I write an email or respond in a way I'm like, how can I say no in a way that also honors this person? And I know I haven't been consistent at doing that, but that's something I'm always thinking about is how can I, how I can do that and present that in a real authentic way. Um, speaking of authenticity, that's law four, the law of authenticity. Right. And okay. So these last two, Bob, are the two that like really hit home for me. Um, number four in particular, I, I've worked on this a lot in the last five, six years. I think I've made, well, I know I've made progress. And I think this is one that I still struggle with is the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. And I think many of us have heard this before, like be yourself. The best thing you can be for the world is to go out and be yourself and be authentic to who you are. And yet I think for most of us, we don't really get what that means. And I really get the sense that you get what that means, Bob. Like you you have a way of framing this for people. And I, I think that I better understand what this means today than I did five or six years ago. But I'm wondering if you could say, what do you mean by this? And how do people get to that place where they can give of themselves? Sure. Well, on a very basic level, as as Deborah Davenport pointed out in the story, as important as the skill sets are, uh, let's say the technical skills, the people skills, the all the skills, you know, we, we know that are important and, and they are, by the way, of course, yeah. they're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your true authentic core. Now, I think we, again, as you said, we, we intuitively know that. We know that people respond much better when they feel this person's being authentic, when this person's being honest. Authenticity happens to be very good for business. So, so I think we have to ask the question, why would someone not really show up as themselves? Why would they be less than authentic? And we might and especially the skeptic among us might say, well, because people want to be dishonored, you know, pull something over or, you know, and of course, again, you know, we live in a big world. There are certainly people like that, but I don't yep. think that's the case most of the time. I think most of the time, Dave, when you see someone who doesn't really show up in an authentic way, it's because they don't have the confidence in themselves to really understand the value they bring to the table. Mm. Uh, I believe that we all have two types of value. One is the intrinsic value of simply by, just by the, the very fact that we've been born. We have intrinsic value, we bring value to the table. But we also have what I call market value. And I would define market value as those strengths, traits, talents, characteristics that allow us to add value to others, add value to the marketplace in such a way that we will be financially rewarded for this. The problem is, as human beings, 
we're so emotionally close to ourselves, it's difficult for us to really see and recognize that true value that we bring. Oh, ain't that uh, the truth? <laughs> you know, I, well, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've spoken with someone, and again, you're a mentor and a coach, so you and you work with leaders all the time, so maybe you can relate to this. I've been, I've spoke, been speaking with someone and asking them what they're doing. They tell me, and it's something just magnificent, and I'm and I say, wow, that that's great. That and they, and they their their response is, oh no no, anybody can do, it. or you know, everybody does that, or everybody can do that. And they they're not being falsely modest, by the way. Mm-hmm. They really don't recognize that this skill that they've worked so hard to to perfect, or this thing that they just kind of come by, but it fits so congruently with their nature that they do this, and it brings so much. They don't realize how much value it brings. Yeah. And let's face it, when you don't feel as though you've got a lot to offer, it's difficult to show up authentically, which is why one of the best things people can do is really uh, to to utilize a coach such as yourself who cares about their growth and cares about what they're doing, but isn't so close to them emotionally that they can't really see because they know the person too well. Mm. I love it. Yeah, it's it's so valuable to get that that perspective from someone else in order to uh, illuminate the path that often we're walking on but can't see. <laughs> exactly. Oh, very well said. The uh, final one is the law of reciprocity, and you say the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. And yeah, and it's and it's actually receptivity. Oh, what did I say? Um, which is a, a a little bit different than reciprocity. Oh, you're um, right. I messed that up. Sorry about that. So re- receptivity. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah, no, no, that's okay because reciprocity is also a, a very valuable. That's something that Dr. Uh, uh, Michael Cialdini, uh, excuse me, Dr. Robert Cialdini oh, yeah, uh, yeah. talks about in his wonderful book, Influence, he Science does. and Practice. Re- uh, reciprocity is one of the six laws he talks about. Uh, which is the very natural human desire or need to return a favor, okay? To to when someone does something for us, we just naturally want to do something for that person. That began in the cave person days when it was a matter of survival, and it's kind of wired into our DNA. Sure. What we're talking about here, though, is actually receptivity, which simply means that when that when we provided value to the marketplace— We've earned the right to receive, and what we need to do is be able to accept that. And we illustrate that in the story when Pindar, the main mentor, asked Joe, the protege, to breathe out and just hold that breath to the count of 30. And Joe tries, but he can't do it. And he's gasping for breath after about 10 seconds, and Pindar says, what's the matter, Joe? Can't do it. And Joe says, no, I can't just breathe out. I've got to breathe in as well. And, and, and Pindar says, and he says this jokingly, of course, he says, well, Joe, what if I was to tell you that it's been medically proven that it's actually healthier to breathe out than it is to breathe in? And Joe laughs. He says, that, that's silly. You, you, can't, you can't do one or the other. You've got to do both. Mm. Aha. Now, in today's world, we get so many messages of lack, Dave. Whether it's from media, whether it's from, you know, just the the general culture, whether it's TV shows and movies and all these things where the the wealthy are looked at as having gotten their made their money on the backs of others or through this or that. And, you know, by and large, again, 
to the degree that the free market is allowed to work. You can only make a lot of money by bringing a lot of value to the lives of a lot of people. And this certainly, the go-giver is certainly a, a free market-based uh, parable. And so what we need to know, and this is the, the key part to understanding recepti receptivity, is that it's not a matter of am I a giver or a receiver. That's what we call the treacherous dichotomy or the false dilemma, the unnecessary use of the word or. No, it's I'm a giver and a receiver. The focus, though, and again, this goes back to what we originally discussed, the focus must be on the giving of value. Focus on the giving and allow the receiving and you will be one of prosperity. And it, it, this is something that I think I, I, I've, I know I've struggled with. I know it's also fairly common of almost the, what's the word um, that people, like almost a fear of success that some people have. And that really is often one of the big stopping points of helping people to move forward and to add value to the world is they don't necessarily feel like, feel comfortable receiving or feel like they deserve it or and and I, I really like the way you artfully describe this in the book of, you know, it, yes, the focus is on giving, but you also need to be open to receiving and you need to know that that is part of how this works. Like the breathing analogy, I think, is, is, exactly. is fabulous. And, exactly. and I think that it's uh, it, when and I've seen people who have struggled with this and when they've gone past that, like it's so much easier for them to then give. Exactly. And so much of it is, is, is unconscious. So much of it is on a subconscious level, because remember, belief systems about anything, including money, uh, they're a combination of upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, popular culture, cultural mores, every experience that comes into our life, though it tends to, to, to pretty much, um, be there by the time we're a little more than toddlers. <laughs> and if you grow up or if you, for whatever reason, you think, well, you know, only nasty people are wealthy and, mm -hmm. you know, the only righteous people are poor. Uh, and and you, you, you watch movies and, and it gets into your head and, and you allow popular culture to fill you up with these messages. And again, the subconscious, we know this is so much stronger than the conscious. Oh, yeah. The subconscious rules. And when this is unconscious, when we're unconscious about the subconscious, now we're in trouble. And that's why it's it's very important if you're the type of person who has provided a lot of value to people and you get to that point of income and you feel yourself struggling, you, you might want to ask yourself, okay, why? What's the premise here? What, what are my real beliefs? Not the beliefs I, I think I have, but what are my actual beliefs? Do I have an issue with prosperity? Do I feel that I'm worthy of prosperity? Do I feel that prosperity is a good thing? So this is something that I, I and I can't tell you how many times John and I, when the story came out, we'd receive emails from people telling us that law five was definitely their toughest law to get a hold of mm. and that it was almost like they were given permission to receive. And, you know, I, I, we take that as a compliment, of course, I just feel bad that it, it takes something like that to give people permission to receive. I would much more our society uh, honor the fact that people who provide value to a lot of people make a lot of money. 
Yeah, and it, it is, uh, you know, it, what you said about your family you grew up in and all those, I mean, it's so it's so critical. Um, my wife is a, a business professor at a faith-based institution, and I never, I never knew this until she became an, a professor there, that there's people in the world who just feel like if you're a business person you've and you're making money you've sold out um that you know you're yeah. you're not doing anything of value for the world that you're just there to make money and I grew up in a family that business was considered a very great way to add value to the world and to change mm-hmm. people's lives and yeah. so but not everybody has that world view and so right. you're what you just said there is is really looking at where your value system is and what you what you appreciate and what you um, what you were taught at a young age sometimes serves us and sometimes it doesn't. And so, exactly, how do we how do then we re- reframe some of the things in our values and our belief systems in a way that'll help us to really give to others in an authentic and true way? Absolutely, very well said. Thank you. Well, Bob, uh, I really value your time and your perspective on this. I'm so grateful that you wrote this book and that it it just provides a really simple but profound way to look at how to be successful and add value to others. Um, I'd I'd like you to sh- share a little bit, if you would, about how people can get in touch with you. And I know in particular, you have um, you have a lot on your website and even opportunities for people to be- become certified as a speaker for your organization and to go and, and to learn these laws. Can you say some more about that? Uh, sure. Uh, if people would like to visit Berg, B-U-R-G.com, uh, when they go to the site, if they'd like, they can subscribe to our Influence and Success Insights, and they'll also receive um, Chapter 1 of The Go-Giver and of my newest book, Adversaries and Two Allies, as well as the first chapter of Endless Referrals, so that they can uh, they can see if they like where the story's going, and then if they do, they can always click through and order if they'd like. Uh, we also have a, a blog with about 400 archived articles. They can connect with me on social media. And if they would like, they can check out our Certified Go-Giver Speaker Program, uh, where we do certify people who would like to speak professionally. And um, it's a lot of fun. So uh, we welcome you to come to Berg.com. Bob Berg is the author of the international bestseller, The Go-Giver. It's a great read. And by the way, it's also very easy to read in just one or two sittings. So Mm -hmm. go pick it up. Uh, Bob, thank you so much for your time. I so appreciate it. Uh, Dave, thank you so much. And thank you for what you're doing. Speaking of parables, this last law, the law of receptivity, reminded me of a story I heard a long time ago. Some of you may have heard it. It's about a guy who gets caught in a flood. He's got a house in his town, and the floodwaters are starting to rise. And there's a couple of people who drive by in a pickup truck just barely making it through because the water's starting to rise almost to the level of the pickup truck. And uh, these two folks in the pickup truck see this guy sitting in his house on the first floor with the water starting to come in and they yell out to him, hey, hop in the truck, we'll save you. And he yells back, it's okay. I believe in God, he'll save me. Well, The waters keep rising, and eventually he has to make his way up to the second story of the house, and he's hanging out his second-story window, and a boat comes by, and the man in the boat says, Get on the boat. 
I'll save you. And of course, the man yells back from his second story window, I don't need to be saved. God will save me. Well, the waters keep rising. And eventually, he finds himself on the roof of his house. And a helicopter comes over the house. And the rescuers yell down from the helicopter, Take the rope and we'll save you. And he yells back up to the helicopter, I believe in God. God will save me. The helicopter moves on to the next house. And the waters continue to rise. And the man drowns. He finds himself in heaven, standing before God. And he asks God, God, why didn't you save me? I believed in you. God looks down at him and says, I sent you a pickup truck, a boat, and a helicopter. What are you doing here? And that story reminds me of the law of receptivity. The importance of us not just being great givers, but also being open to receive from others. And that if we can artfully do both of those things, that our ability to give is enhanced and influenced. And I, again, want to thank Bob Berg for bringing that perspective. I hope you'll check out this book. It's just such a great read and it just takes a couple hours and uh, I think you'll really enjoy it as did I. And of course, if you have comments, questions, or feedback for this episode or any of the Q&A shows coming up, I hope you'll take a moment to visit the feedback page at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. The next Q&A show is on the topic of self-confidence that's coming up in early June. And again, uh, for questions, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And the resources page, of course, is always online at coachingforleaders.com slash resources. I hope while you're online, you'll take a moment to join my weekly leadership guide. It's delivered to your inbox on Wednesdays and always includes my thoughts and recommendations on articles, podcasts, videos, books, quotes, Uh, all kinds of things that will support your development between shows. Not all of those every week, but one piece every week that will be of help to you. It also includes always a brief overview of the show and a link to the full show notes. I've put all five of the laws here and some of the details that Bob and I mentioned in the show notes. So if you listen while you're on the go, that's a great way to keep up to date on the show notes each week. And when you first join the Weekly Leadership Guide, those of you who have joined before know that you'll get instant access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others with summaries from me on the value of each book, since we talked about value a lot in this conversation. And so you can download that and a video that goes along with it. Just visit coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe, and that will get you started with all of that. And this week, I'm featuring another community member spotlight, this time from Tom Tronto. And uh, take it away, Tom. Hi, Dave. My name is Tom Tronto, and I live in Peebles, Ohio, which is a small town uh, just an hour east of Cincinnati. I found the show originally by just searching for leadership uh, when looking in podcasts on my commute to and from work. I wanted to grow 
as I'm a manager and just founder show that way. I've been listening for almost a year. And I wanted to maybe hear a little bit more about possible topics like how other people de-stress. Uh, I managed a Speedway gas station for five years and uh, then recently transitioned into Walmart and I've been an assistant manager for three years and just recently got promoted to a co-manager. And retail and salary jobs that are 24-7 open business have a way to become stressful, especially around the holidays. So I was wondering what other people did. Uh, I used to you know, at night just have a hard time falling asleep. It was hard to shut thoughts off uh, of how I could have done things better or what might still be happening at the store. And um, then when I was at Walmart and I had to take over for the store manager when he went on vacation, I actually found myself going out for a run and just finding uh, that as a good de-stressor. I played volleyball at Ohio State while in college, but, but running was just a way to, just to get out and run, and, and it, it worked great. And so I actually have run two half marathons, and I'm planning to run a full marathon in the fall. And uh, it's got a great way of just resetting your central nervous system. And, uh, you know, all of us leaders like to get better at stuff and progress. And so running's been one way to continue to get better and faster. There's no one to hold you back. And um, so, you know, I sometimes used to watch a movie on my last night of my rotation. But just wondering what other people do to uh, de-stress. And maybe you've already got a show on that. But um, that's what's helped me. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed the show. Hey, Tom, thanks so much for recording the spotlight and congratulations on your recent promotion. So excited for you. And I feel like you almost answered your own question here a bit. Uh, Boy, exercise is, is a great way to combat stress. I've been a runner for years and it absolutely makes a huge difference. I can attest to it for sure. I will indeed cue this up to be a show in the not too distant future. In fact, I already have a few thoughts on folks that I might be able to bring in who can be really helpful with this because this is something that absolutely, whether you're in retail or not, uh, some of us work in positions where the times of the year are very predictable as far as what's going to be stressful. And some of us just uh, work in positions or roles where that stress either is constant or sometimes it's unpredictable. Regardless, we need to find good tools and resources to do that. So Tom, I certainly will do that upcoming here. Thank you so much for uh, recording the spotlight and glad to know you. And I also want to say a big thank you this week to three people who took a few minutes to leave a rating or actually left a written review on iTunes. And those people are JFA, uh, I hope I'm saying that right, Dave Langang, and The Mind Doctor in the UK. Thank you so much for the very kind reviews that you left on iTunes. I so appreciate it. If you've been listening to the show for a bit and you feel like you can accurately review or rate it on iTunes, I would be so grateful if you take a moment to do that. It's a huge help to grow the community. And if you use iTunes, just visit coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. It'll take you right there. And, uh, and if you use Stitcher, by the way, uh, you can also do this on Stitcher, coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher. And thank you so much in advance for your support. I'm just honored to be able to come to you each week and, uh, and continue to help all of us become more effective in our leadership and to build our confidence as leaders. I hope you have a fabulous week and I look forward to talking with you again next Monday. Take care.